Vagabond Way podcast, the journey goes ever on with The Long Road. This episode, Waxing Lyrical. For this week's podcast chat, The Long Road discuss all things lyrics and lyricists, the do's and don'ts, the charms and the pitfalls, the exciting and the not-so-exciting. Steve Bonham highlights the work of a brilliant compadre of The Long Road, Paul Bunting. Kev Moore brings us further tales from his Camino travels and The Bishop, that's me, I talk about a pudding that never was. The Vagabond Way podcast featuring The Long Road is exploring the world of the troubadour, the adventurer, the vagabond. The world isn't beige, it isn't processed, it's authentic, it's rich and it's real. And if those are the sorts of sentiments that make your brain light up, then hop on board. We are embracing all of those things, we're celebrating all of that, and we'd love it if you joined us on the journey. Greetings, I am Chris the Bish Leiden. Welcome to another Slice of Life with The Long Road. Uh, make sure you've checked out all our recent video offerings. We've got another video coming very soon, so make sure you're up to date. We've got uh, The Rise of the Artisan, or The Long Road to Now, our mini-documentary following us in search of artisan music back in the recording studio in November. Uh, we've got music videos for some of the songs we made back then as well. Um, we've got some that are still coming, but a couple that are out there already. We've got Something Has Got to Change, and we've got Washed Away. Um, all of these videos have been made by the brilliant Kat Hodkinson and Gemma Caldwell, so do check them out. They are brilliant. Uh, and don't forget, if you like what we do, consider buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash the long road band um, uh, before I forget uh, we're going to have a week off from the podcast next week uh, so we'll be back on Friday the 21st of May with the next offering now on to this week's hashtag content with a, a slightly surreal start but we soon fall back in line and talk some sense for a bit uh, I'm going to hand over to me <laughs> Greetings, everybody. Here we are. The Long Road are together again for another of our three-way digital chats. We've got Steve at home in Derbyshire. Hello, Steve. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> and I'm at home in Manchester, and Kev is at home in Spain. In a gathered of vida, bish. Now, you may not realise this, listeners, but we do tend to do these recordings in groups. <laughs> so so we, we do a few together. So at the minute, me and Steve are on, I think we're entering our fifth hour of being on Zoom together today. Because <laughs> we, we did a couple of hours' work this morning trying to get something done. And then we sort of rolled into doing this podcast chat. Kev has joined us. Uh, and now we're into our second hour of podcast chat. And we have slightly lost the plot. Yeah. Um, so that's that's why Steve was starting with a goodbye, uh, when in fact he should he should have been opening with a hello. Hello. Um, so, hello, he- hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Where am I? Please, please send help. Um, so the and it's funny that you know the 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 cho- choice of words. That's where we're going to start off with today in today's chat. The words that we use they're such an, an integral part of communicating, uh, and it led me to thinking a bit more about. Um, lyrics and lyricists that we've come across that might have had a particular impact or a particular view of the world that we find, you know, either distasteful or we really get on board with, you know, something about lyrics or lyricists that sparks some some thought in our brains. So I'm going to hand over to Kev for the opening barrage in this. So Kev, lyrics, lyricists, what are your thoughts? Oh, well, I adore uh, a good lyric and um, there are several that, that leap out to me. Um, often it's the worlds that these people paint and some people are better at it than others one of my probably my favorite opening line in a song is from a song called glamour profession by steely dan 
and uh, it simply starts 6.05 outside the stadium, special delivery for Hoops McCann. And mm. that, to me, I, I'm in this weird place then. I'm, I'm there. What's, yeah. what's going on? I'm asking, what's going on? You know? And yeah. to me, that's yeah. just a brilliant setup. And the thing about Steely Dan, especially as a kid, because they're from an alien place called America, um, they really showed me that not the similarities between Britain and America, but the huge differences in their cultural mm. references. And um, yeah. it was years. The, the beauty of, of Steely Dan discovering them as, as you grow up is that you, you get little gifts from them as you realize things through the years. So, for example... Um, in the song Haitian Divorce, they're singing, you know, now we dolly back, now we fade to black. And I'm like, what the hell does it, what's a dolly got to do with it? And of course, it's, it's film speak that you, when you're on a track and dolly, you're, you're yes, pulling yes. the camera back, you know, dolly and, back, and, yeah. And, and, and um, another line in one of, one of the songs, I think from the Katie Lyon album, um, carrying his dinner in a paper sack. And I'm like, okay. Until you realise and you start watching the cop shows and you see the, the, the alcoholics buying their booze in a brown paper bag. Brown bag, and, yes. You know, so they can drink outside in the street. All those kind of lines are just beautiful uh, and really, really tell a story. Um, I think in the UK, I think one of the finest sets of lyrics would be from um, Difford and Tilbrook. Uh, two songs, Labelled With Love and Up The Junction. Um, beautiful vignettes within a three-minute song. It's so hard to do that, and they both managed yeah. to do it. Um, you know, she shuffles about in a candlelit hovel, you know, like some kind of witch in blue fingers in mittens. She smells like the cat and the neighbour she sickens. It's genius lyricism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and up the junction, you know, uh, she gave birth to a daughter within a year of Walker. It's just poetry. And yeah. that's that's the British side of it. And then I have here as a as a as a reference here. My I, I, <laughs> I grabbed my Ricky Lee Jones. I'm I'm on a bit of a Ricky Lee Jones kick at the moment because I adore her. And she's like a female Steely Dan sort of thing, you know. Uh, she wrote this beautiful song called "The Last Chance Texaco." And it's a long stretch of headlights bends into I nine, tiptoe into truck stops, and sleepy these lies. Volcanoes rumble in the taxi and glow in the dark. Camels in the driver's seat, a slow, easy mark. But you ran out of gas down the road a piece. Then the battery went dead, and now the cable won't reach. It's your last chance to check under the hood. Last chance, she ain't sounding too good. Your last chance to trust the man with the star. You found the last chance, Texaco. I mean, without music, it's poetry. And yeah, and, yeah. and I just love that. It's world building. You know, you're creating, the, the, the songwriter's creating uh, a, a universe that you step in and you enjoy the song so much more because of that. Steve, what about you? First of all, you've got the obvious, you know, Leonard Cohen and Bob uh, 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 yeah, Dylan. Yeah. But, you know, I would have get, again gone to Squeeze, I just think. Uh, I think the trick, the great lyrics is, you say, they've got to be universal and intimate at the same time. And Squeeze mm. did that so well. Like yeah. the stories of Up the Junction and things like that, they're, they're stories but absolutely about a time and a place and a person, but they just apply to everybody. They're wonderful lyricists. And I think there is, you know, a, a great strand. I mean, they're not all lyrics, 
not all great lyrics of poetry. I do think I do split them up. There are yeah. some great songs where actually, if you look at the lyrics on the page, uh, don't make any. Don't really. I mean, all right now, by free is a great <laughs> lyric. It is hardly poetry, but when yes. you hear it song, you know it works. But but then there are the very articulate ones. And if I'm not having squeeze, I would have, I would have Ray Davis. Uh, and actually, I was mm. watching a program on him the other day, and you know it was quite interesting. The guy, I think, uh, who it was, was saying, look. If you take song by song, you know, where, you know, uh, comparing him with McCartney and Lennon and McCartney, you know, he comes out really well as oh, a lyricist. Yeah. yeah. You know, songs like Days and, and uh, you know, Waterloo Sunset are just classic. Oh, they're, they're, they're works of genius, I think. Yeah. They, they really yeah. are. And here is a man, and I've said this before, but I'll keep saying it. Any guy who can rhyme Henley Regatta with Dying to Get At Her. It's all right with me because it is yeah. just off to win. off to the win. scale. Good lyric. <laughs> there is something very good, you know, about lyrics who can just put those little moments in that like light it up, you know. And and uh, it's actually one of the strength, you know, uh, strengths of some country songs. It was that line in uh, "Good Year for the Roses," something along the lines of he's looking at a cup of coffee and it's got her lipstick on. And he says something like, at least she thought she wanted it, which is more than she wanted me or something like that. Yeah. It's just really... Beautiful allegory. At least you, at least you yeah. thought you wanted it. That's so much more than I can say for me. I, I, I love lyrics, but you know what I would do. <laughs> I love wit in lyricism. I, I just recently picked up um, Kirsty McCall's last album. It's all, It's very Cuban-flavoured, obviously, but there's a... There's a, a song with the most beautiful payoff line where she's talking about being um, stood up by this horrendous guy and, and they're in the bar watching the football and, and, the, and the line is, and it's England to Columbia nil, and I know yeah. how, how those Colombians feel. I mean, that's brilliant. <laughs> you know. yeah. Or oh, oh, there's a guy down our chip shops where's his Elvis. Where's his Elvis, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not sure about him. Picking up on a strand from what you just said there, Steve. So Len Leonard Cohen, obviously one of the great song songwriters uh, of of the age, um, and actually one of the people that he did a did, did some collaboration with, um, who's one of my heroes. I think I talked about this on one of the podcasts recently, actually, with Leonard Bernstein. And then yeah. so the, the 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 lyric the links here. So Leonard oh. Bernstein did a lot of stuff with, um, you know, he's done lo lo Leonard Bernstein did loads loads of things with. He often wasn't the lyricist; he was often the composer, but did do his own lyrics sometimes. Um, but would partner with lyricists. Um, one of my favourite, the most, one of the most incredible pieces of art that's ever been created on this planet is Leonard Bernstein's Mass, which is a mix of lit of the Roman Catholic liturgy for the Mass, so Latin Latin words, and then he worked mainly with um, Stephen Swartz, who is a Broadway musical composer, lyricist, right. who's done. Um, he done done loads 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 of things, uh, but sort of quite you know populist mainstream musical stuff. Um, and then there's one small section of this Bernstein Mass. So fundamentally, it's a Roman Catholic Mass sung nearly entirely in Latin, but with a an orchestra, a rock band, a march, a street band, an American marching band, a street chorus, which is essentially what young people just shouting on the street. Not it's not a not a chorus like a right. classical choir sort of thing. Mm. Um, so it's very it's a big old mishmash of music and styles. Uh, and there's one there's one snippet in it where the the lyrics are by Paul Simon, 
and it's only four it's four lines or six lines right and it's one of the one of the best juxtapositions in in western classical music as far as i'm concerned yeah. you've got this brilliant you know the music for the latin bits is incredible and it's amazing then you get this very political politically edged searing moment from paul simon in the middle of it um set to this brilliant music by bernstein and the first time i saw about it and heard about it it just blew me away the collaboration that bernstein had with people like that just brilliant little moments like that way it just yeah. it's six six lines it's 20 words 30 words but it's just it's a zinger and i love yeah. it um and then bernstein's most famous collaborator perhaps stephen sondheim who's famous for music and lyrics Absolutely. loads of musicals yeah um and I've actually been, in the last few weeks, I've been listening to lots more Sondheim stuff because I think as a lyricist, he is, in the musical theatre world, he's second to none. Yeah. One of the things I really love about him is that he has this sort of list of pet peeves about the things that lyricists do that they shouldn't do because it's ridiculous. And one of the things that he really rallies against, which is very common, it's not so common in popular music, but it's very common in musicals, where you do this, on this website I found earlier on, it said it was called Yoda speak, where, you, where <laughs> your sentence structure is wrong. Yeah. Where you have, you know, you might have your verb at the end, or I can't remember the, the examples, but you don't say, you know, yesterday I went to the shops. You say, yesterday to the shops I went. Yes. And yeah. Sondheim always rallied again. It was really common in 1930s and 40s musicals that you'd have that ridiculous sentence structure. I think that's great lyrics are, are, are clever because not only are they this poetry, that, you know, we describe them the way they, you know, the words themselves, the meaning of them captures people, but also they they have a rhythmic function. And, yeah. you know, and, and the really great lyrics, to me, I have that almost like they're the, the, the tambourine or the, the uh, yeah, snare. Yeah, a, a percussive, they're, they're, they're repetitive. Rat, they're, yeah. they're rattling across the top. And yeah. uh, I love the lyricists who really do that and think about it. Those of you who are regular listeners to my ramblings know that I'm a, a bit obsessed, many would say ridiculously obsessed, with the idea of words and stories, and in particular the craft of folk songwriting, as contrasted with the um, songwriting of musically literate composers. I think my world is more intuitive and driven by accidents and stumbling over phrases and stuff like that. I've always felt for a while that there may be a lack of folk song writers in, in, in the UK compared to, say, with the States. There's, there's lots of singer-songwriters... They tend to write songs about how miserable they are or how difficult life is or or their opinions on things, which are fair enough, or, well, that kind of thing. Basically, how life isn't supposed to be like this. But they rarely write songs about folk. I, d I don't mean folk songs. I mean songs about folk, people, other people, ordinary people. The guy around the corner, the lady across the road, 
The Man in the Chip Shop. It states people like John Prine and Guy Clark have made such people their heroes. The people whose extraordinary lives are hidden inside ordinary bodies. And in the UK, perhaps Ralph Mattel, perhaps a few others, by all means, write in and let me know, have seen this as the rich seam of songwriting that it can be. And then just the other day, I was always muttering away like this, some grumpy old man. I realised actually one of the guys I've known most of my life is exactly what I mean by a writer of songs about folk. His name's Paul Bunting. You probably won't have heard of him. It took him most of his life to write, release his first album last year called Half Written Songs. But those of us who know him and love him, he's one of the great songwriters that we've ever come across. He has a rare ability to make the ordinary beautiful. And in his own idiosyncratic, charming, slightly weird way. So I thought this week we'd celebrate a great English song about folk. It's a song of his called A Million Miles Away. Now, apologies to Paul if I get the story slightly wrong. But I believe this is about one of his relatives, perhaps an aunt, who, unlike all of us living suburban lives, was a lot wilder than that. Liked to dance, liked to drink, liked to laugh, lived life to the full. And it's about the day he went into an old care home. By now his aunt is suffering from dementia. And the matron kindly said to Paul, oh, she won't really understand what you're saying. She's a million miles away. And a genius songwriter like Paul took that idea and made something beautiful. A million miles away from this sad place. A million miles away from the humdrum. A million miles away from the ordinary. I love this song and here it is. Stuck inside a gown Cupped his past the hours It's around a soggy breakfast And nasty plastic flowers Matron smiles as the visitors Admire the way she's dressed What passes off for care these days Anybody's guess Once a dancer gliding 
Everyone and welcome to Kev's Cafe Corner, or more specifically, Kev's Camino Corner, as you join me on my epic walk from Santander to Santiago de Compostela in the northern Spanish province of Galicia. Last week, you left me in Ribadeo, just over the border in Galicia, and I was about to spend my first of two nights in the albergue there. After my arduous trek from Navia on the previous day of October the 19th, I slept like a baby right through the night, waking refreshed on Tuesday, October the 20th. Clearly, 
I've been utterly exhausted. But there's something wonderful about falling asleep after tiring yourself to your very bones. I awoke around 7.50am and got up for a very pleasant breakfast, saying my goodbyes to the French cyclists and my German friend Rebecca, who were all continuing onwards that day. I decided to explore the town, but probably involving not too much walking. I'd made that mistake back in Gijon when my enthusiasm for the sights rendered somewhat less of a rest day than I'd originally intended. I headed into the centre and found the churreria that Emile, my American cyclist friend, had recommended to me, and they were as delicious as her photo promised. As I wandered around the town after the churros, I felt my tendons tightening up and decided to head back to the alberg to be safe. I spent a strange night there, completely alone, not another soul in the building. Stories were coming out now about the few albergs that had been opened, closing behind me in the wake of the pandemic tightening its grip in Asturias. I felt like a surfer about to be overtaken by the wave in which you were riding. Wednesday, October the 21st. Wary of the latest forecast, I delayed leaving Ribadeo until around 11.30am, but apart from a small shower on the outskirts of the town, I had fine weather all the way. I found a decathlon sports goods store en route and bought a waterproof cover for my rucksack. As yet, I haven't needed it. Arriving at Barreros, or to be more specific, around about 2.5 kilometres before it, I found my accommodation for the night. It took a while to get the lady to open up. I thought for a moment I'd have to continue on and find somewhere else for the night, but open up she did eventually, and the room was really nice. One of a row of purpose-built chalet-style rooms with ensuite bathrooms served by a communal terrace. I'd covered a relatively easy 15 kilometres this day, which felt about right as my feet were starting to ache again. You have to listen to your body on this trek. Sometimes you can really hammer it out. Other days you've just got to listen to it and take it easy. I had a shower and sat out on the terrace with a cup of tea. I felt like a god who had everything he could possibly want. I lay back and chilled for the evening as the sun went down, blissfully unaware of what tomorrow would bring. Next time, the day from hell. See you later. entry is, as it turns out, uh, it's rather more about an imagined dish than um, it, it seems than it ever was a real dish. Uh, now, up until a few months ago, I don't know if I'd ever consciously had this dish. Maybe I had, but I, I don't can't consciously think that I had. Um, but then one day I had this dish, and it was delicious. So I sought to recreate it. Now, that dish being a peach cobbler. Now, if you ask someone to describe what a peach cobbler is, I wouldn't be half surprised if a lot of people found it quite hard. Well, I mean, it's got to have some peaches in it, hasn't it? Hasn't it? Yes, peaches, spot on. But what's a cobbler? Um, 
it was actually my niece who made this peach cobbler for me. Um, well, not just for me, but for the whole family. Uh, back at Christmas when I was bubbling with my uh, my sister's household. Uh, and it was delicious. Um, I think it might have been served with custard or perhaps cream. Can't quite remember. But it was delicious. Uh, so I asked my niece for the recipe uh, so I could try my, my own at home. Uh, and the result was absolutely nothing like what I was expecting it to be. Or remembered it to be. I mean, was I losing it? I mean, the only thing was the same was, yes, it contained peaches. Um, it, it was a very odd recipe, which started with a thick layer of melted butter in the bottom of the, the oven dish, and then a sort of sweet cinnamony batter on top of that, on top of that, and then halved peaches laid on top of that. Um, hang on, hang on. Was I making some sort of peach in the hole? A toad in the hole, but with peaches, a pudding. Um, anyway, baked it, and whilst the flavours were fine, you know, peaches sort of underwhelming, actually, um, the, the cinnamony batter, pleasingly not overwhelming, um, it's always a risk with cinnamon, um, the textures were odd, uh, the batter had formed a sort of cake, sort of Yorkshire pudding, sort of pancake around the peaches um, and covered them over. Um, in some places around the edges, the the, the batter had caramelised so much as to be sort of very caramelly. Overall, it was just very odd. Um, and I'm sure I was expecting something a little bit more... Yeah. See, I can't even put my finger on the word to describe what I was expecting. To me, a cobbler would be a bit more, I don't know, sort of scony, dumplingy, almost with like a sort of almost crisp outer shell, but a soft scony inside. Crisp like bread crisp, not crisp like, I don't know what crisp like. Anyway, maybe I did something wrong. Um, maybe a cobbler isn't what I thought it was. Maybe the version we had at Christmas time, maybe that was just a dream or a, a happy accident, and we, my niece created something unrecreatable. Um, and so often with my food adventures, they're out seeking a, a moment in time from the past, e.g. Uh, my never-ending quest for the perfect primary school chocolate concrete with pink custard yet to be achieved. Uh, and sometimes, you, you know, you get close, but it's not quite. And sometimes, as with my peach cobbler this week, you get absolutely nowhere near. But the journey's still fun. And perhaps, just perhaps, peach in the hole will catch on. <clears throat> uh, it does make me wonder, though, why toad in the hole is called that. What's the toad bit? Mm, I can feel an investigation coming on here. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening wherever in the world you are. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and now YouTube as well. The next episode will be out in two weeks' time. Join us on YouTube for the Transatlantic Connection show and become part of the Transatlantic Connection movement. Head to youtube.com slash thelongroadband. If you fancy buying us a coffee, you now can at buymeacoffee.com slash thelongroadband. It's dead simple to just drop us a few quid to support what we do. It even accepts Apple Pay 
Pay and Google Pay. Super easy. Uh, all of our music and merch is on Bandcamp, where you can help support a positive ecosystem for the music industry. Download, streaming, vinyls, CDs, the companion book. It's all there. Thelongroadband.bandcamp.com We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash thevagabondway. Big thank you to our Patreons and a special shout out to Orla Flynn, James Lydon, Stuart Lydon, Yvette Lydon and Trish Taylor. Thank you for your ongoing support. If you'd like to support us, become a vagabonder. You'll get free digital stuff and merchandise in the post if you want it. Help us create something different, something that entertains, and something that inspires others. So join us on the journey and release The Vagabond Within. Patreon.com slash The Vagabond Way. Thank you once again, brave adventurers, vagabonds, and explorers, for joining us on The Vagabond Way. Remember, the world isn't beige. It's authentic, it's rich, and it's real. Embrace every last bit of it. Until next time, the journey goes over on with The Long Road. Bye for now. Thank you.